This is the Powered Up Podcast, show number nine. You know, you can't look at young people and be like, you need to speak up if you're not doing it. And you can't be like young people, you should write a letter if you're not doing it. You should talk to someone if you're not doing it. And I know that I am constantly being watched, not only in my community, but in just in educational spaces because there, there are not a lot of African-American teachers. So I told kids, I will never ask them to do anything that I'm not going to do first. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Mr. Matt, father figure Rogers. Matt, what is going on? Life's good. It's great. I mean, we are surviving. That's all we can ask for. Kids are coming to school. They're staying as healthy as possible. Um, things are things are good in the hood. How are you, sir? Things are, things are very good. So uh, Matt and I are recording show nine right now and we when we went to launch this podcast full disclosure we recorded three or four episodes before we even had our first guest we didn't know what the podcast was going to be called uh we we didn't really know what we wanted other than we wanted it just to be organic casual conversation and i think so far we've we've done that really well with our guests um, and a- along that path has been an extreme struggle with technology, which I know that every teacher can relate to. Uh, we've finally landed on something that seems to be extremely effective for us. Shout out to Riverside.fm as our recording platform so far. It's making our lives easier. It's making our lives more efficient. Uh, we don't have to stay up for an hour and a half after we record the episodes late at night. So on that topic, Matt, um, when thinking about the classroom, what is an educational technology tool that has made your classroom will go with the more efficient conversation, more efficient, whether it's for your students or for yourself to allow you to do more of the good stuff in your classroom? Oh, so I know I've talked about LMSs before, so I'll, I'll skip that one. LMS really is the hub that holds everything. And I think as you get more comfortable, whether it's Google Classroom, uh, Canvas, Blackboard, um, Schoology, that's obviously the most efficient. It's the easiest way to get information back and forth. But I think the, the beauty of the Google Suite just absolutely dominating the educational field um, what I, when talking about educational technology, I love making almost metaphors um, or I guess similes would be a better way to put it, comparisons between similar products. And when you're dealing with teachers that have been using technology for a while, um, 
they you make connections to Microsoft Word. And, and when you um, have teachers that haven't been teaching that long, then you may make connections to more common like text-based uh, features. And that's the role of, of kind of making people kind of, kind of assimilate. But what's kind of the prevalent thing is Google Suite, G Suite for education, whether it's slides, the Jamboard features with integration, now Google Meet is what we end up using for communication, Docs, um, not so much spreadsheet, but getting familiar with those and then seeing the enhancements of something like Pages or Keynote or PowerPoint and some of these other similar tools really makes a huge difference. You kind of learn one and you learn them all. It's kind of like a, a, a vehicle. You go for a test drive and yeah, buttons may be laid out differently, but for the most part, it all runs the same way. That's good. I will, um, I'll, I'll carry that conversation. I'll actually touch on two things that you mentioned, LMS and G Suite. Um, a lot of teachers that I work with and whether you are Google Classroom, it's the most obvious in there, but the possibilities are there with Canvas and Schoology as well, is the ability to manage the students without sharing. Um, you know, I like to say to teachers, when I was in the classroom, I did, a student did not share one document with me, with me for the entire year because when I needed to have a document that both the student was going to work on and I was going to view, I was going to grade, I was going to provide feedback to, I was pushing it out through the LMS through a forced copy. And it gives you the ability to view that document while the student is working and dropping comments, leave them feedback, and really have an interactive process, especially on a more long-term project. And you can do that through all three of those. So Google Classroom, it's through the assignment feature. In Canvas, it's called uh, the Google L Assignment LTI or Google LTI Assignment. And Schoology is just the uh, Google Assignments app that you add on there as well. And so it's really powerful because not only is it making you more efficient, but you know if you think about writing specifically, you can jump into that document and highlight a sentence and tell the student, hey, can you expand on this idea? Or, you know, tell me what the character was thinking, you know, in that moment. It really gives you a way to enhance that experience. I loved using comments in Google Docs when I did writing conferences because I, would, I was sitting down with the student and having a conversation with them, talking about their writing piece. But as I was doing that, I was writing the comments into their document. And what I told the students was, when you're meeting with me, you don't have to remember what I'm saying. You have to understand what I'm saying. They walked away from that conference with a checklist in that document of all the comments that I typed in. So just leveraging that tool, because I completely agree, G Suite has just been a game changer over the last five years um, with that LMS feature is so important. So we actually don't talk about technology at all, really, tonight with our with our guest, uh, Jessica Matthews. She was phenomenal. Um, she is a great role model, a great advocate for teachers and for students. And it was a really humbling conversation for me. It really left me looking at, you know, the way I interact with other teachers, the way I interact with students, and how can I do a better job um, as a role model in the position of an educator. So Matt, what were what was your biggest takeaway before we jump into that interview? There's a lot. And I think um, we're hearing similar 
themes, uh, obviously said in much different ways and a lot, a lot of different situations. But um, I think what I'm recognizing by doing this podcast a few times now is that good teaching is authentic teaching. And when you pull in real world scenarios and situations into the classroom, that that is where true teaching comes up. And Jessica jokes about the the lesson you taught probably isn't that important. I taught about um, uh, helping and linking verbs. Like that lesson is probably not sticking with my kids uh, much beyond the, the grammar time that we worked on it. But the idea of how we addressed it or how we acted it out to make it authentic or where they see it in their own life is a, a, a different story. And what you hear out of that conversation um, with Jessica is just, how can we tackle real problems? I, I'm here to facilitate, facilitate and support and care for you and guide you and, and hopefully have as many answers as possible. But I think it's pretty incredible to hear that she tackles difficult conversations even if she's not super confident in the outcome or the right decision, she just gives kids the support and the confidence and, and the guidance on how to handle themselves as they try to really make a difference, which is the ultimate goal. Absolutely. She, as you say in the interview, she handles it with such grace. And, you know, she's a secondary English teacher from Michigan, but it doesn't matter what you teach or where you teach. Um, this the messages and and the real lesson applications that she provides um, are going to be applicable to to K to twelve educators. Um, it's a it's a it's a great interview. Um, so we want to jump right into it. So without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Jessica Matthews. Hi Jessica, welcome to the podcast. We are super excited to have you here. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. I'm hanging out with cool people, so I'm wonderful. Awesome. How are awesome. how are you today? I'm doing I'm doing great. Today was today was a great day um, in the world of education for me. So as we jump in, um, can you just share with our audience uh, what you teach, where you teach, what what state you're from, and just kind of what your um, educate education career has has looked like so far? Uh, I am a language arts educator at Carmenes High School. I teach grades eleven and twelve. Majority of my career has been spent with those two grades. Uh, this is year number 21, which is insane to me that I've done 21 years. Uh, and I also teach at my alma mater. I went back home uh, to teach for the community that I came from. That's great. Uh, was that something that you would say was important to you or it was more of that's where you were able to land that? that first important job? Uh, it is when I decided to become an educator where I wanted to go back. Um, my, my dad, oddly, always knew I was going to be a teacher and always knew I would go back to CA is what we call it. So um, I wanted to go back there because I didn't have an educator that looked like me. I, I did K-12 without having any educators of color. It was very limited in my building. So when I decided I wanted to be a teacher, I was very intentional and in pushing to try and get back home. And uh, it just worked out. 
Yeah, so I have to jump in initially. I think it was interesting. So going onto your website, uh, I found it interesting. You kind of have like accolades, which obviously are incredibly well deserved. But I, I almost appreciated more. You had a link to your previous website, um, a previous website before you really kind of, I think, uh, exploded would probably be a good way to, to put it. Um <laughs> But I think got recognition for the hard work that you put into things. Mm -hmm. It was just really interesting to see the pre, hey, a hardworking teacher that cared about going back to her local community and shifting to really really becoming the voice in a lot of ways for your community that, that many other people see as a representation of where you're from and, and real issues. Um, can you talk to kind of those two different people? Because you bear a lot of responsibility these days beyond maybe early days teacher. That is very true. And I actually was very intentional with, with putting the link to the old website. Cause it's like, I've um, in the past 20, 21 years, I feel like I've lived two different teacher lives. <laughs> so the first website is like the first 10 years, um, 10, 10, 15 ish years. And at that point, it was like I, thinking about like, I just want to be the best teacher that I need to be for my students in the classroom. So projects and like writing different, you know, events that happen in my life and things of that nature. Um, my life made a major shift about six or seven years ago. Um, and that was the first thing that I was um, award I was nominated to was uh, Social Justice Activist of the Year for the National Education Association. And um, yeah, I was not prepared for that shift. It just kind of, I was pushed into it after that. So after you get that nomination, there's other um, responsibilities that start with that. And by then we were in the middle of the water crisis. So my whole personal self made a, a shift because I didn't want to be quiet about what was going on in the city of Flint, Michigan. So all these things were kind of happening. And then um, the secondary English teacher of the year award came with MCTE. So that made it where I couldn't hide in the English world. Everyone in Michigan knew of this person. So, um, and then uh, regional teacher of the year with the state of Michigan last year, that, that was when everything changed. And that's when the website changed because um, I started to realize the first part of my career was focused on being the best teacher I can be for just my students. And now I'm being the best teacher I can be for all students mm -hmm. and for all educators like that. That was the shift. Well, and I, th I think one of the things that I pulled and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is I think the the clear word that stuck out different between the two was activist. And I think we talk about work worth doing in education all the time. Work worth doing. It's it's worth it for the kids. Um, and I think that you really had work that needed being done, right? Your voice and being the social representation of how to handle crisis, true crisis. Um, you have kids that are impressionable, but almost at that level of making significant difference in community, and maybe I, I take almost out, but you are a huge mentor and, and how you handle that is, it's as much as of a responsibility as your initial re website 
linking book studies that you were doing as a classic teacher. I, I just found that to be a, an interesting dynamic that that need and the necessity and you incredibly stepping up for that opportunity. I think it was what was best for my students. I think that they needed to, sh to see the shifts that happened in my life. And with the water crisis, my school is outside of the city limits, but a number of my students, 50% or higher, it depends on the group each year, they're citizens of Flint. And so they, they had so many things that were unanswered, so many emotions. So in that time of making that shift, I, I was, you know, you can't look at young people and be like, you need to speak up if you're not doing it. And you can't be like young people, you should write a letter if you're not doing it. You should talk to someone if you're not doing it. And I know that I am constantly being watched, not only in my community, but in just in educational spaces because there, there are not a lot of African-American teachers. So I told kids, I will never ask them to do anything that I'm not going to do first. And so that those things happened and, you know, talking in different spaces and, you know, being confident and telling your story, all those things happened for me because I wanted to be a better example for them. So when you were able to start to grow yourself and, and be that advocate and, and walk the walk, just like you were saying, what were some specific activities or conversations that you were able to then bring back to the classroom? to facilitate with your students to try to get them involved in those, um, you know, in the water crisis or in those other, um, you know, projects that you were, you were advocating for yourself? I think the most frustrating part for my students and uh, the thing that triggered us doing the work in the classroom was the fact that people weren't listening to what was really happening and all the different stories that were out there. They heard there was a water crisis and, People are like, it can't be that bad. When people say that, that's terrible. You know, um, it can't be that much of a struggle. Why don't you move? You know, all these different comments. So for me, it was infuriating to hear it, but I, my students were saying it. They're like, I'm really irritated that, you know, the world feels one, that they can answer a question that no one can figure out and two, um, make it seem like, like our struggles are not valid. So the first really big thing that we did, and we were lucky, we worked with Michigan State University's uh, Broad Museum. Uh, there's a, I actually went to Michigan State and got some certification there. And uh, the writing center director, Trixie, who I'm forever gratitude to for her for this moment, um, there was uh, this, this grant that, that hit there. And um, they were like, we need a, a teacher from Flint that thinks crazy, do you know somebody? And she was like, yeah, yeah, her name's Jessica. Here's her phone number. So <laughs> they reached out to me and we did this project where my students were able to write and put their stories out there about the water crisis while working with an artist from Chicago, Jan Tichi, who was amazing with the kids. And so giving kids that power to talk to people, um, having a display that should have been up only three months, but it was up, I think eight, because it was so popular. Um, and the kids wrote and got their stuff put in a book. So they were running around showing everyone they were a writer and an author. Like that was the moment when I was thinking like, this needs to be a constant thing in education. If we're not valuing these experiences our young people are having, and we're not giving them the opportunity to use their voice, then we're not doing things correctly. And, and that was the shift of everything for me. That's pretty incredible. That's great. So, um, Let's say we have teachers listening that uh, 
one, maybe they're in an area where things are, are not as, as bad as it was during the water crisis, or it's just an area where it's a little bit more affluent, but they still want their students to understand that there's differences to be made in the community, because regardless of your community, there there are always differences to be made. The, the impact might be different, but what are some things that teachers can do to try to either find those opportunities or to figure out how to facilitate those opportunities in the classroom? I would emphasize that every community has an issue you should be speaking up about, every single one. And I think a lot of times in education, people are waiting for an opportunity to come their way when they need to make the opportunity themselves. So real world writing can be done anywhere, anytime, any topic. Every educator K through 12 can do it. Like you can write a letter to your congressman. You can email them and say, hey, would you talk to my students? You can learn about protest signs. You know what I mean? There's all these different ways that we can just give voices to young people. But I think a lot of educators are afraid. They're afraid of the backlash. They're like, oh, well, if it comes my way, I'll do it. But why are you waiting for something to come your way? Why aren't you creating the opportunity for you and your young people to do this? I've had young people, my world changers have written magazines, they've written congressmen, they've published their work, they've made websites, they've done podcasts, they've done videos, they've put videos up on social media because social media, if that is their life, you should be using it. Even if you're afraid of it, they should be able to have that opportunity to use it. We've just done all this real world writing that even if they don't get a response, they still put their voices out there. And that is empowering to give to anybody. Well, I think that that's right. So I'm an elementary teacher. I teach fourth grade. Um, and so I would love for my, my kids to write like your, your high schoolers. It doesn't happen. Um, but I think even the idea of pulling in what's going on in their world is hugely important and making it personal. And I think, as you mentioned, every community has something to consider, um, whether it's obvious and glaring or a little bit more hidden. Um, and I think that those personal connections really switch it from core curriculum to the beauty of learning skills to be able to use them and express yourself. And even at fourth grade, all the way up until high school, it's, it's incredible to watch when that intrinsic motivation is the reason why you're doing it. When that gut is, hey, I'm bringing my best because I care about it. Man, do you see projects? And, and as you're mentioning, I would imagine you have a pretty liberal policy of how kids showcase their work because it needs to be authentic to them. Yes. I, they think of better ideas than I do. Like, who am I to stop them? Like, they've said things and I'm like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you should do that. Are you? Yeah, do that. You're going to want to do what? You want to do, you want to make an Instagram? Make the Instagram. You know, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, use whatever format. I think you should do it. And like I said, they're, they're way more creative than any of us could be. And... I think it would be wrong to stop them from using that creativity. And I've seen little ones do amazing things. Um, a friend of mine, um, Abby, I can't remember what school she teaches at. She's going to be so mad at me. She had, <laughs> when we first met, 
and we're, we were doing our program together at Michigan State. Um, she has elementary school kids. And so she took the concept of water to her kids. And she was just like, tell me about water. What do you know about water? What words come to your mind with water? And then she's like, what if I told you, you couldn't have clean water? And she had like, I want to say really young kids. And they're like, that's not cool. I want water. And she's like, what if I told you there's a city not far away that doesn't have water that they can drink just out of the tap? And they did a whole water drive. And this was a elementary building. And they did a water drive. The only thing the adults did is they, they organized the transportation to bring it to one of the Flint community schools. You, you don't have to hold back your young ones. They, they know what to do if the spark is in them and they're interested and they know that they're helping the world. They are ready to do it. That's absolutely well, what I, what true. I love about, about these ideas that you're sharing is, you know, real world application is a, is a huge concept, regardless of your, your content area, your, your grade level, we want the kids connecting to our world, but I don't think often enough, the, the word of empathy is involved in that conversation. You know, um, having kids, you could throw in the topic of 3D printing. There are 3D printing little trinkets to sell at the school store. Well, that's that's cool and that's nice. But how about designing 3D objects that can help with um, students that need assistive help, like opening doors or, you know, um, fine motor skills, things like that. Just involving that idea of empathy into the conversation and these topics that you're, you're bringing up hit right on that. So... How do you try to help your students? You know, your students, especially with the Flint water, were directly tied to that personally. But what are some strategies you help to teach kids empathy and to help them understand and to think more empathetically when approaching these these topics and these these ideas? With with my seniors, we spend before they even um, well, I should backtrack all of my seniors pick some topic that they care about and do a project for that at the end of the year. That's how we've kind of expanded. We've gone from the Flint water crisis to me saying, I'm going to let you choose. Um, but with that, that does take some, some practice and some different things that we have to do. So not only with the looking up research and things that are out there, one thing that we have to do is we, we take time to understand empathy. So for, my group I, I have now, one of the things we spent an entire week on was intersectionality. And I, I taught them with intersectionality, what you're doing is you're looking at everyone that's affected by an oppression. So we tend to, in, in our society, pick one group, focus on that one group and say, that's it. So we were looking at with Black Lives Matter, um, I, I pointed out to them, I gave them a list of names and they knew all the men on the list, but they didn't know the women. And I'm like, this issue affects here too. Mm. So why are we so focused on just the men and talking about them in the news and murals and conversations, but we're not talking about the women. And then I gave some more names and I'm like, these are people who identify as women. We aren't talking about how unbelievably terrible this is for the LGBTQ plus community. And so it's like that expansion of thought of just saying, Oppression is not okay for anybody, but how do we build up this empathy for those groups that have not been identified? And so we literally took that route, but I was like, okay, 
what other areas do you see this happening? And kids were, they were rattling off things. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Like intersectionality means that we want everyone to have a quality life and we can't skip this group. And when we skip this group, we're not giving empathy to their experiences and we're not honoring what's happening. So that's when I tied in the empathy thing and said, okay, what can we do to at least do empathy together for these forgotten names, for these women or those who identify as women to show that we respect, we honor them, we understand that they were oppressed in this situation and that we need to practice for now on looking at the big picture. And so we ended up doing jam boards of um, information about the people who were left out. And, you know, there were kids that were like, I feel so terrible. I didn't know this story. One girl's story, she was a little girl at nine years old and she was 45 minutes away from here when she died. And they never had heard of her. And so they started to think about, they were like, with empathy, I, I need to know all stories. I need to really process this, this different pains of these different groups. And I need to do better at it because I mean, we're not, I mean, all of us, they watch us as adults. We're not good at it. <laughs> so you have to find a way to just integrate it in piece by piece for them to look at it and go, yeah, the world is bigger than me. Cause it's so easy with teenagers, especially like they think the world, oh, it revolves around them. And then they start to go, it doesn't. So I guess I, I have to kind of go in. So I have two like things that are, are coming up. Your topics are heavy. They're yeah, dense, they right? And, <laughs> yeah, and that's the beauty of it, right? The, the beauty of it is that they are the problems that honestly, very old, uh, systematically uh, successful um, people have not been able to really address or have avoided for a long time. And the beauty of education, we had a, a guest talk about how I can give life lessons for free before it costs them a lot, the yes. mistakes that they make, right? Yes. And I think the, the beauty of what you're talking about is you are taking advantage of these opportunities right now when it's free and you're creating activism because it's really easy for someone to say up oh, changes in the youth but if you don't give guidance to the youth and that's the kids in my classroom the kids that are affected by ken and anyone who's listening those are the opportunities that you know what has been trends of discrimination or um any sort of hatred honestly any any sense of of non-community uh, i mean for my kids it's golden rule base right treat others right. how you can be treated that can get really way more complex but it, it's just it's beautiful to see that you're in a position that you can tap into activism and it really is what it seems to be a a jumping off point with comfort as as these kids go into adulthood with some guidance and i'm sure you're in communication with them beyond as they continue to be advocates in their area i'd love to hear about success in that ways because you're showing your passions in areas that are most important to you as a model i'm sure that there are plenty of jumping off points in every direction as well from from former students my former students are doing amazing things like i there are times they will like post something or email me and I'm just like, oh, like 
it lets me know that that I made a difference in their life and it lets me know that we have hope. <laughs> I have one uh student who she's done more than one thing. She she started off by doing a clothing drive for the city. Um and now she's doing some some advocacy work for um polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh she found out she got diagnosed with it and and she knows I I also have it. So um, she literally has like this whole getting information out about it. This is why we need to find a cure. You know, she's got like stickers and pens and all these different things just out in the community. Like she, she's a force, but I, I have some kids involved in the black lives matter, um, Flint chapter. Um, I, I had a group of students this summer who, um, organized their own protests. Uh, and I mean, I'm just sitting back looking at them like, oh my goodness, you know, like they, they, and they told me like, we know what to do. You, 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 you told us the right way of doing things. We got this. And they used some teachers from the building to help them, um, which was very kind. And they were very, very intentional. It was five, um, white teachers who were just like, let us do this with you. So it's cool because it's not only the kids, it's also my staff members who are starting to realize like. We, we have to have action. We can't just have words. We need to have action. So I have kids doing all kinds of things around the entire country. And I just sit back and nod my head like, we'll be okay. <laughs> we'll yeah, be okay. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and what I, what I really appreciate about the way you were describing how you build in the empathy and what you're talking about now, seeing what your students are doing after they graduate is it, as a teacher, you know, this is one of our focuses and, and you're doing it so naturally is you're focusing on educating them. You're focusing on, you know, how do we find these people that aren't being talked about? You know, it opens their eyes to the idea that, you know, just because this is what you see on the news or this is what you read on social media, we shouldn't just accept that. What else is out there? Who else is out there? Whose story is not being told? And you're, mm -hmm. you're driving it through the idea of educating themselves, educating themselves on how to find these answers, how to find these people, how to find these causes. And, and like you just said, organizing something in a very strategic manner, you know, um, to, to really showcase what they, what they believe in and what they're advocating for. And so you're not just inspiring passionate advocates, which is important, but you're inspiring educated, strategic, passionate advocates and empathetic advocates. And I, I just think that's so incredible and honorable that you're doing that. And so important, like you said, you know, there is hope when you see things like that. And I just love that you're doing it from a foundation of let's educate ourselves and, and educate others, you know, through those manners. Thank you. You two are so nice. <laughs> we uh, you know I, I just noticed a green bay sweatshirt so my tone yeah. might change a little bit oh no uh, but that's okay and i know it's you're okay. like how am i and i get this all the time how am i a girl from michigan who who loves green bay right so one the lions have never been to a super bowl like <laughs> um i am i am a big time football girl um my dad is a football coach he's coached for over 35 years in different levels like every level um and he, my dad was a is excuse me is a uh, green bay fan and so he instilled in me as a little one why green bay was a unique program team 
you know, like owned by the people, small town, you know, and uh, he was a huge fan of Vince Lombardi. So I know all these things about Vince yep. Lombardi from my dad and, you know, just carried with me. Um, I get harassed a lot around oh, sure. here um, because, you know, Lions fans are hardcore. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter that they're not been to a Super Bowl. They are like dedicated folks. And oh, yeah. So very quick, interesting fact. I actually had a student, uh, I taught fifth grade, who owned a share of the Green Bay Packers and had oh. a uh, had a jersey. I th- I'm pretty sure his jersey number somehow represented like the share or, or something like that, the number on it. But he did uh, – his parents um, bought him a share of the Green Bay Packers, which was, which was very cool. Um, so I don't want to cut this conversation off about what you've done over the last mm-hmm. few years, especially in the topic of advocacy. But kind of like your website, I would almost like to go back to you know your, your first 10 years. Because all of that led to where you are now, all of that led to the accolades of, of the Teacher of the Year awards that you've earned. So what made your class special? Why did, why did students love being in your class? You know, what, what made your class you know, what it was those, those first you know, five, ten years of, of your career? And listening to the, as I call them, the old school crew, because <laughs> I'm still very close to a lot of them. Um, they have told me that they enjoyed my space because I let them be who they wanted and needed to be. Um, I, I was a person who had like, like real world conversations with them. And they have always said, I am, I am real with them. Like every group will always say you have, there's, you are, there's nothing about you that's fake. And I was like, no, you either love me, you hate me. It's fine. You know, it's cool. Um, but I, I am very transparent. So, um, Many kids remember, especially the first 10 years, like we had a lot of laughs. We laughed all the time. We still do, but it's a little harder now, of course, with, you know, how we are with, with the pandemic. But yeah, just like random silliness, um, but also serious conversations that they knew they could only have in that space with me and in that space with um, with students that cared the way they did. Um I think another thing is that I am a, I am, I'm a black teacher and they, they're rare. Even, even with me going back to Carmen Ainsworth right now, even though 80% of my students are kids of color, um, there's only four black teachers in my building. And one's the art teacher. So they don't all get them. One is the business management teacher. They don't all get her. And one works with our students who have autism. So I'm the only core teacher that they can see that looks like them. So it's a unique space because there's things that can happen that they know they can talk to me about, but they can't talk about with others. And they know I'm going to give them comments and guidance, you know, in navigating the different difficulties that are out there. So we have fun. You know, we always have fun. I always hear that. Like we had good times. Yeah, we had good times, you know, but yeah, the first year was just, the first years, that first decade, you know, it was just about letting kids be who they were and me figuring out who I was. I didn't know who I was. I I definitely had no idea who I was the first 10 years. Definitely. I, I, I think on a, on a very different level, but to, to some respect to what you're talking about, and I know Matt can relate to this as well. We, we were both elementary teachers, you know, typically the only male 
or or one of two and and just seeing that same impact that we are able to have just with with not only the the boys in the class but um you know just a, a different type of role model for students and I, I think that's so important especially in your area where a large majority of your population you know is going to be able to connect with you in that way so i, I think that's so important so if you had to if you had to pick a lesson or a project that you did in the first 10 years that um, really sticks out to you, probably sticks out to your kids. What what did that look like? Um, what was that dynamic like or, or you know, how did it change over the years? Uh, the one lesson that I always hear about from the old school crew is when we made videos for The Great Gatsby. I don't know why they obsess over the, I've had kids reach out and go, do you still have my video? Like, this is like the times of burning it on a DVD, you know what I mean? Or have it on the flash drive or gosh, you know, we're way past that now. Um, but they love those videos. Um, we did one class, I think the seniors did the ones with the Great Gatsby. And then I want to say either either my juniors or sophomores at the very beginning, we did a Raisin in the Sun. And so I gave them that freedom, like, okay, you're going to make it connected with the book but make your changes that you need to. So like we had, we had like an urban version of The Great Gatsby. We had a scary movie version of The Great Gatsby, uh, heavy metal, like it was just the most random stuff. And that is the thing they remember. They remember like working with their, their teams. And we had, um, when it was all done, we had a viewing party. So we'd take a day watch everyone's let them like introduce it watch it we invite people um one time the principal came in and the funniest video we ever had <laughs> and it's funny because i still talk to them they didn't have a pool for gatsby's death scene so the kid was in a tub <laughs> and it had no water in it he's just <laughs> in the tub and he has a rubber ducky with him and he's singing to the rubber ducky before um <laughs> before he's killed and the principal's there and I'm like, oh my God, he's got to think we're insane. And he watched it and he just fell out laughing. Like the kids, that was the first time the kids saw my principal, like laughter where he could not stop holding his side. And so those, those experiences of them working together and just having that creative freedom and then having the viewing party. And then after the viewing party, we had like an Oscars night like thing, like we voted and um, gave out awards to best actor and all those things and let them do a speech, which was always funny. <laughs> I had great. one trophy. They get picture with the trophy, but they couldn't have it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that's the one, that's the one that from the first 10 years that I hear a lot about. So I guess the, the thing that I would love to, again, uh, kind of divert off of is, mm -hmm. Um, I, it doesn't seem like you're, uh, you fear many topics, right? You keep it real. You keep it honest with your kids. Um, do you, what do you feel like is your relationship in your school with your faculty? I know you mentioned some support, but in order to be such a force, but also a, a voice of trust and inspiration that there's a lot that myself I get pegged as, hey, be the dad figure every once in a while, yeah. pretty frequently. Yeah. Um, and, and because I welcome that and because I step into that role and I, I am a positive mentor, 
I, that role has definitely grown through the years. Can you speak to your interaction with your staff and, and you being an advocate absolutely can ruffle feathers. Hopefully it hasn't, but um, I'm sure it has mm -hmm. along the way that that's another dynamic that when you try to be what your kids need, sometimes that's at the expense or takes really careful planning. Um, yes. Because I, I know if I were to be in your shoes, whether it was a topic I was comfortable or not, there's a lot of strategy that goes into that navigation beyond just I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, everything you're saying is absolutely correct. <laughs> um, I have some people who are very supportive of what I do. And I have some teachers who are, they, they, they love it because they get to have conversations with their kids and things after some of the things I do. I have some staff members who absolutely hate what I do and that's fine. Um, I, I'm not here to please people. Um, I will say that when you win awards like this and you do advocacy work, your circle becomes smaller and smaller each year. It's, it's just the way it is. There's, there are some people who look at the things I do and go, that's really awesome. You do that. And then there's some people who complain nonstop to the ad building about what I do. Like it's, it's, I'm always getting reported to the ad building. I don't have any problems in saying that to everyone for this and that this topic, that topic, this activity, that activity, it's just the way it is. If you're going to deal with some of the topics that these young people desperately want to talk about, there are some people who are not going to budge and they don't want to hear it. That doesn't change me though, because I know the work that I'm doing is necessary work. It's, it's, um, I'm a huge fan of John Lewis. So I always tell people what I'm doing is good trouble. I, I know that there are people who you know, I have tons of wonderful people on my staff. I want to say that. I want to put that of out course, there so it yeah. doesn't seem yep. like a, I have awesome people who love learning different things. But then there are there are individuals in my community, be it staff, be it, you know, leadership, be it board members, be it whomever, community, you know, yeah, absolutely. that do not like what I do. And they do not like the topics we discuss. So if you choose to do this path, you can't think that it's all glory because it is not. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of very, like you said, strategic planning um, and, and being able to have an answer for what you're doing, not just, you know, out there ruffling feathers. Like what I'm doing is, is something that is essential for kids to be good human beings. Um, and I, but I also have had some people who don't have exactly the same views I do who have, with a school event we've done, we used to have an activism day where the kids took over the cafeteria and uh, they had their topics and teachers could go talk to the kids about the topics one-on-one. -on -one. So that way they could see why they care about that and they could hear what they had to say. There were, of course, always some teachers there who were there just to argue with kids. And I told kids, you're not here to argue with anybody. You're here to educate somebody and you're here to have conversations, not an argument, even if it's a teacher you look at them and you tell them, I'm not here to argue with you. Mm -hmm. So That's great. it's it's hard. It's hard navigating the space. And sometimes when people come at you, it is, it's difficult and it can be very lonely in doing this work because, you know, everyone else isn't doing it. Some people are complaining. 
it's extra and work. It, it is. Mean, I was going to say it's extra work. It's yeah. you're, you're always, I'm always working, even though I'm better about self-care, I'm always working on something for something. Yep. And, and you have the burden of also being the person that everyone wants to go to and talk to about things. And when you're, you know, in a limited amount of people who look like you in that space, you, you got to deal with that as well. So it's, it can be draining. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. Like, it can, well, you, it can you absolutely take it. You circled right back to, to what you were talking about earlier. And I, and I just want to, to highlight this is you talked about it takes strategic planning for you to navigate. You have, you know, a lot of your staff that supports you and is on your side, but those, those few, the, the admin, the, the board members, the, the fellow teachers. And again, you are acting as such an important role model to your students because you're showing whether you talk about it explicitly or not, they're going to be aware of it. And they're seeing how you navigate this appropriately and calmly and in an educated manner. And like you just said to your that you told your students your job is to educate. I just think it's so valuable that you're you're mo- not only teaching them these skills, but you're modeling it yourself. Um, on that on that topic that Matt brought up, how do you um, educate and communicate with with the parents and the family members that the students live with to not only let them know these are the topics we're talking about, these are the things we're exploring, but how do you also kind of use that opportunity to educate the families on the way in which you are approaching this with your students. I will let you know that I, I really haven't had a lot of problems with parents. Um, and I think it helps to, at the beginning of the year, I send an email out to the parents. And I'm like this, this course, especially with the English 12 one, um, which is a senior course, it's activism and inquiry. This is what we do. Um, be aware that, and and it's different each year. Like I don't have a set topics in my head because I don't know what topics they're going to be passionate about. So I will communicate to the parents. We will be talking about a lot of real world issues. Your child might hear some topics in here they don't agree with, but this is a, a space for us to figure out what our paths and our passions are in order to change the world. Like that's, that's the whole point of us doing this. Um, I've had like a couple times, especially with remote learning. I had one one situation where a person called and was like, it sounds more like black history than English <laughs> because there's a lot of history you have to explain before you dive into things. Mm-hmm. Like we were um, we were learning about protesting. That was the first thing we did because there were so many protests, you know, this summer. And I said, I, we really need to talk about what actually is a protest because the media is out here using words and you're just taking in these words without looking at the power of words. So like you will look at one space one space, and they'll be like, it's a riot. I'm like, let's look at this definition of a riot. Let's read about this. Is this really a riot? And they start to go, wait a minute. Why are they using riot with one group but they're not using it with the other group? Why are we hearing patriots with one group and with another group? You know, the kids are really aware. You just got to kind of direct them so when parents see that at first, it's like, no, like this is real world. There are power in the words we use. I've never had a parent go, well, you can't teach us. There are powers in the words we use. And we need to think about what words kids are using. We need to think about the words that they're listening, you're using at home, but also in the media, since they are so driven with the media and social media, if they're not paying attention to these words, they're not understanding how they could be damaging. They're not understanding how they're being misused. 
and they can't call out and say you got you we can't do this unless you teach them that so with parents it's not really even that bad um and we we have some topics where i know kids will flat out tell me like my mom will not be happy you know and i'm like okay is it worth the fight though if, if you don't think it's worth the fight then you know maybe you don't pick that topic and they'll be like I've never had a kid say no it's not they'll be like yeah it's worth the fight I'm like well then let's get this work going and um, we'll share with your mom your grandma your caregiver how amazing you were to talk to the community about it and if they're proud they should be if they're not proud that's unfortunate but I'm proud of you. So there you go. We're fine. That's great. Gosh, I, I, I just, I keep on and, and you've gotten plenty of accolades, but I think one of the things that I want to share is uh, the amount of grace that you have to navigate these conversations that I wish, um, uh, there's a, a program called restorative classroom and they, uh, sponsor a book called milestones and it looks at each, uh, developing year. And I was reading it this summer with my wife, who's also a fourth grade teacher. And we found that 10 year olds, it is very common in 10 year olds to have this advocate, advocation development that they start to feel like they understand the world. We understand they don't understand the world, but it's the first time that they can, in that maturation, believe or look through a lens outside of just their two eyes. So, this year has been incredible to, we teach ecosystems and pollution. And so kids are running parents down that aren't recycling proper, properly and yeah. doing these different <laughs> things that, that are just incredible to see that young kids, as you mentioned, can have th these impressionable moments and really change their direction going forward. And, and the reason I say grace is you get hit from every single angle and every single direction and how you handle that is truly the representation of is work really in the right direction? Are we making progress? Because you getting flustered, I'm sure, doesn't convey the idea of this being a, a path worth, worth taking. It's got to be an incredibly difficult position to be in, especially with that added pressure of, of, of being in a demographic that yeah, as you mentioned, is not prevalent in the classroom. So you are the voice. And again, unfortunately for you, or very much fortunately, you're becoming a voice for this to other teachers in your local community and a lot further because you are just nailing what you're needing to with that grace. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, I, I have read that about 10 year olds. I think that's true. I think that's when they start to go. And I guess the big question I would say with education and knowing that with 10 year olds, why do we feel the need to suppress that? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the dynamics we have in education are to do that. Like shouldn't our energy be put into that moment when a young person starts to see the world and go, you know, it, probably could be better. Why, why are we not giving them opportunities to learn more, research more, talk to more people, change it the little ways they can? You know, they can't change it in one year. Like there's a reason why young ones are 
raising an eyebrow at us and they have every right to. Absolutely. There, I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of that suppression, suppression of that. I, you know, that idea that you just talked about the 10 year olds, you know, going younger than that creativity and being active and, and standing and moving and, and as they get older, you know, exploring their own ideas. And unfortunately it just seems to be part of that system that, you know, I, I see glimmers of hope from educators like you and others that are, are starting to, to create that change. And, and, you know, there's a lot of shifts in, in education. I think that's an important part to, to, to think about where the students are developmentally and, and what we can not only push them to accomplish, but get out of their way to let them, right. to let them accomplish. Um, just I be, say that all just be the an time. Avenue. I tell people it's funny because, um, Michigan Teacher of the Year last year, Kara uh, Lahid and I, we, we talk a lot. And her favorite quote for me is, I will tell people in a heartbeat, I'm like, will you just like shut up and get out the kid's way? Like, <laughs> leave them alone. Yeah. Like, we, they don't they don't need you to do every step for them. You don't know. No. They have an idea. Help guide them. If they need something edited, do that. Be their cheerleader and get out their way. They have yep. the time and the energy to do it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Like adults aren't going to do it. Like don't, <laughs> like, we need to stop acting like we're, you're not the older, you're not doing it. Like let these young people go on and change the world and just cheer them on. Like, I see what you're doing there. Maybe you should consider, Hey, how about look about this? Did you see this? You know, like they know what they're doing. They, they know it. They see it. They see this world clearer than any other group that's ever been on this earth. They see it and they see the mistakes and they so desperately want to fix it because they're like, why would I want to live a life like that? Like, I don't want that. I'm like, do, do what you got to do. Like, what, what do you want to do? Talk to me. What do you want to do? You know, it's just better that way. That's a, that's a great way to put it. And I, I, I would love to continue this conversation on this topic, but um, I want to try to be um, aware of our time. So I want to take a, a hard transition into our, next segment of the show which is i don't know what it's called matt i've called it something different every time but it's (laughs) it's looking deep into one of your lessons and i'm going to challenge you and put you on the spot jessica you can't talk about the one that i um, asked you about earlier with the great gatsby so um, matt and i are going to ask you six questions back and forth just to try to learn about a lesson or an activity that you do in your classroom um, but really, you know, think of it as a as a story for yourself on on just painting that picture of what it looks like in your classroom. So if we if we go off stray of the questions at times, it's it's totally okay because it totally almost fine. always happens. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So quite, the first question is: Is this more of a single lesson, or is it a long term project kind of unit overview uh, activity? A long term project. Now, you mentioned you teach different grade levels. Uh, is it grade level specific, uh, related to a specific subject area you would classify it, or time of year? Um, any of those conditions come into play? Um, it is connected to a specific unit with my junior classes. Okay. And what is that unit? It is our unit on independent reading uh, with the theme of policing. Okay. So, um, you can add details if necessary. What are the objectives of the project? The objectives of our projects 
when we get to the end is to create uh, street art and to write about, um, do analysis of not only our own that we made, but analysis of um, classmates' um, street art on our topics. This is awesome. All right, moving on. <laughs> so um, if you were to be an, a student in this lesson, how would you describe what you're actively doing throughout this unit? What, what are your responsibilities as the student end of things? Um, the first thing the student would have to do is choose a book from the collection we have in our classroom. Uh, we have an activism library. So all the books are connected to a topic. So with policing, I have, I think, nine different topics we have. And it's not just dealing with the police. It also deals with um, security guards and, you know, other forms of policing. So the first thing they would have to do is do um, a book dating event. After they're done doing the book dating event, commit to a book. Go through, read it, do some different activities with that. And then at the end of it, they would know that they have to think of a concept to make about policing tied to the book they're reading. That's great. So during uh, during those daily lessons where the students are moving through those different activities, what would you describe as your role during the lesson to ensure their success? My role is to give them an opportunity to share out about their books, um, time them, which is always hilarious because at first they don't want to read and then they get mad when I say it's time. <laughs> uh, but just giving different ways for them to share out about their books and keeping excitement into reading because reading is not exciting to a lot of kids. And usually this is the moment that they go, hey, this isn't that bad. Um, also allowing them to have creativity and asking them, giving them a, a basic outline of what I like to do, but also asking them what would you like to do or what changes would you like to make and just you know giving support to one finishing the book two being creative and three um them actually making their pieces so the last question is simply uh, if you could see this project continuing to develop what would your ultimate goal be for uh this lesson um, maybe things you haven't tried before or things you did before that you'd like to do again, uh, maybe in a, a more enhanced way. I would want to take their pieces of art and put it somewhere where the community can look at them. Uh, when we did it, we put it in the hallways at the school, which by the way, somebody took some of the pieces of art down. We think it was an admin, but we don't know. <laughs> um, could have been, could have been a kid, could have been admin, whatever. Could have been a teacher, we don't really know. But if if I had the ability, I would love for them to have like their own art show. So that way they can hear analysis from other people, invite like family, friends, and, and have an opportunity to really talk about why they designed things the way they did. Well, based on what we've learned about you, Jessica, I'm going to challenge you and be confident that within the next couple of years that what you just described is probably going to be happening um, because you clearly get things done and you you see the value in it. And, and I feel like just saying that out loud, probably more solidified that you do want to do that. 
it's I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It might be a little bit difficult right now with a lot of social distancing restrictions. Um, But so I want to add an extension question to this because you've kind of hit on this a lot throughout the interview. You are an English teacher, you know, just to classify it in a very simple manner. You've talked about podcasts, videos, street art now. Um, you know, what is just your general viewpoint on the use of, I'll just say, uh, alternate media um, in addition to writing specifically in a writing class? How do you view that as, as being important? You know, where, how do you balance that with just traditional writing? I think it's important for our kids to have all forms of literacy, a little bit of foundation because most of the jobs they're going to do aren't even created yet. So if, if they have these different opportunities of different literacies, we're going to hit one that they're strong in. Like it's, if it's always just writing, there are kids who are like, I don't write, I hate to write. But if I find these different spaces for them to do some things, it can make a spark into something else. Like the writing is important. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm an English teacher. I love writing, you know, um, but I've had kids who have done other things with writing um, that changed their lives. The one I can think of, I had one kid who, when we had our alumni day, came back and told students that I was the first time that let, I was the first teacher that let him tie in using a camera with his writing. Like he was taking pictures and writing about it. And now he's a photographer. He's like, I would have never even opened my business, had this opportunity without her. He goes, so just know that she, whatever she plans out for you, it might seem crazy because she does crazy things, <laughs> but you really can find your path in life. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just giving a spark where they can see something they're good at and they have a voice and they can go from there. That's great. So the last portion of our show is called The Exit Ticket, and it's four more questions from Matt and I. Uh, Question number one is, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? At the end of the day, tell your kids you are loved. I learned that from my friend, Joel Garza. I do it every day. Because if they don't believe you care about them, they don't think you're worth anything. Like, what value do you have to them? I literally every day before they leave say, your loves, be safe, see you next week, see you tomorrow. We've had uh, a lot of, you know, we've had a few interviews now. And Matt, what I love about that question is regardless of the first 55 minutes of the interview, whatever the passion the teacher has, it's always that same answer in a different way, in a, in a good way. Very but similar. It's, yeah. it's all, it always circles back to the relationship with the students, regardless of it's what true. the teacher is passionate about, you know, in yeah. terms of their teaching practice. That's true. And so yeah. little is it about the content. It's about the right. development of child. Yeah. I mean, are they really going to remember the content when you think about it? Or are they going to remember the relationships, the fun, they, you know, the, they're not going to remember they're not going to sit around and be like, oh, my God, do you remember that third page I wrote on that research? Like, they're not doing that. Well, yeah. your, your kids will remember the content. They'll remember the, the kid in the bathtub with the, the right, rubber ducky. Right, right. <laughs> right. But they'll remember laughing hysterically at that craziness. <laughs> so you obviously have a ton of influences. Um, and I guess it would be difficult to narrow it down, but I'll, I'll challenge you to do so. 
we have certain themes or piece of advice quotes that ring to our head when we wake up each day and go into our our rooms to make a difference what's the best piece of advice whether it's a colleague a, a friend literature or honestly a student that just always rings true for you hmm. i think if i and i i said this to my intern the other day um if you're a teacher never forget that 90 percent of the time when there's a hostile feel from a teacher i mean not teacher a student or you know like a bad day and you're like why is this kid acting that way 90 percent of the time it's not you it, it tends to be baggage they've carried with them be it from an outside source from an experience before be it years ago bad experience with the teacher 90 percent of the time it's not you and if you actually work on it most of that will fade away. Kids you have those issues with, they can be your best kids and, and be your closest kids. But you just got, you can't, you can't take stuff personally. Like get mad about it and let it go. Definitely. And, a, and approach that situation from a perspective of empathy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, understand that because you might be able to, to help that student in, in a way that they weren't even looking for or that you didn't mm-hmm. see or, or maybe you're not the person but you know somebody that is. Um, so right. I, I think that's so important. So mm-hmm. the school year goes in waves. There's very stressful moments, typically the approach of report cards, the approach of conferences, those those different times. So what is something that every educator needs to hear in those moments of struggle to, to power up and, and, and push through? Every educator needs to know that self-care is essential. The building will stand without you. If there is a time where you feel like it is too much, you need to step away. And I don't think that they, they say that to new teachers enough. They, they instill this whole, you have to keep working, you have to fight through. Your, your care is just as valuable because if you are not okay, it will reflect on to your young people. So step away for a day, a half a day, an hour, get yourself together, make a plan, do some self-care, Get yourself powered back up so you can do it because our job is the most important job out there. But if you're hurting, kids are going to know. They always know. They always know when you're not all right. So you you step away. Beautiful advice. Again, it's something that everyone needs to hear. So the last is uh, you obviously have a ton to share. Um, incredible things. How would you best uh, appreciate people keeping tabs on you, learning from you further? Um, I know that you have um, some literature out and and, uh, just obviously website we talked about. What's the best way to be in contact with you to to continue this conversation? Twitter would be first. I'm always on Twitter. I know Ken hates it. He told me. I, don't I am hate always it. on Twitter. See, <laughs> so he doesn't want to offend anyone. Well, he said it's it is a very noisy place, but I am on Twitter a lot. I I have found Twitter to be a very good community for me to find like minded educators. I don't necessarily talk to everyone else, but the people who are like minded, that are um you know doing this work, and just doing amazing things for young people, I do spend my time there. So I'm there. And it's easy. It's at Jessica Matthews, but my name is spelled weird. <laughs> so it's J-S-S-Y-C-A-M-A-T-H-E-W-S. 
Um, and then I always tell people you, you can email me. I, I, I don't mind answering things. I don't mind sharing work. Um, I think that we've been caught up lately with teachers thinking they, they got to keep everything either hidden or we got to put it on a site and get paid for it. And, um, you always get good karma when you put out good karma. So, um, my email's author and then jessicamatthews at gmail.com. But I have all that information on my website. So if you look at jessicamatthews.com, then you, you got me. But I'm always here to help people. I, I want what's best for our young people. I want what's best for educators because we're the bomb and we deserve it. And I just want to do things to help us all move forward. Uh, so I would just like to add that I do not hate Twitter. Um, but I, I used uh, too harsh a word. <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. I, I don't mind. Um, but that I would like to, uh, just encourage people to, again, go to powereduup.com because, uh, what you just said is exactly why we created the site. There's no other goal than to network educators. Um, and Twitter is a great place to do it. But I do think it can be difficult at times to facilitate in-depth conversations to really connect and share. And, and we want that site to be a place to, to find more people. And it's very small right now because we just started it. But we're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep growing it as a place where all educators can connect. So I'm also going to say that Jessica is going to sign up because she told me two nights ago when we met to, to remind her. So I'm I reminding did. her now. Um, but I, I just want to uh, remind everyone that everything can be found on the website, powereduup.com slash show nine. I'll have links to, to everything that Jessica has to offer, as well as her, her social media handle. And um, I, just, I just really appreciate this interview. I think it was such an important message. I think you brought so much insight, empathy, and, and care to the conversation, and this goes without saying, but your students are clearly very, very lucky to have you as a teacher. And, you know, just keep doing what you're doing because you are making a huge difference in their lives and, and the lives of many teachers. So thanks again. Um, we look forward to continuing the conversation through our, our digital platforms. And Matt, why don't you take us on out of here? Jessica, this was amazing. Again, thank you. Um, and and I can't help as we, we sign off each show. As we power down this episode, I can guarantee we leave you feeling powered up. We'll talk to you guys next time.